So, Johnny Tudor, we, we got talking this week about some of the characters that we had worked with over the years. Now, uh, Eric Monster Monster Hall. He was my publisher. Was he your plugger or was he your publisher as well? No, he wasn't my The publisher I was with, but I recorded for Edward Kasner, Eddie Kasner Music. And they had a, they had a, they had a, a label called President Records. Right. And, and he, he plugged for them, see? Right. That's the first time I came across it. But I used to see him after that when he had his own radio show down in Radio Essex or something. And I used to like get online with him and have a chat. He was a hell of a boy. Yeah. Made me laugh. Yeah. Always yeah. the same. Yeah. Monster, monster. They call everybody Boobler. I don't know what the hell Boobler was. I asked my Jewish friends. They said it's, a, it's an endearment. <laughs> Boobla, Boobla, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. when I knew him, he, he was Eric Monster Monster. He had, a, he always had a big cigar. He was, my, mm-hmm. my, uh, Monster Monster, well, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. Boobla, it's going to be big. He had, he had a Kevin Keegan pearly, uh, curly pearl. Curly, yes, yeah. But he yeah. was so, he his, yeah, he was he so well connected. He was so well connected. You know, like a, oh, he actually put me together. Didn't he have something to do with the football team? Didn't he manage one or something, or manage some footballers? Yeah, well, after music, he became an agent. He became a footballers agent, and uh, all right. You know, so he knew all the all the footballers. Yeah, but he he got me involved with a guy called Mark London, who was a, a wonderful songwriter and uh, producer who had worked with um, Lulu. He did to Sir with Love and those sort of songs. All right. right. Yeah, yeah. So he was all, you know, he, he had these. He was always in and about. Yeah, yeah. He was a character. He was a wheeler and dealer. Wheeler and dealer. And uh, there were, a, yeah, there were a oh, lot of, there were a lot of wheelers and dealers when when we started out in the music business, particularly with you and Tin Pan Alley, wasn't there? Oh, Tin Pan Alley. I, I, I looked that up the other day. Why it was called Tin Pan Alley? Apparently, it started in America off Broadway stuff in the thirties, and it was because all the publishers are all around that area. And there's all these folks wang, banging on, blinking um, old tinny pianos, you know, knocking out songs, you know. And so they called it Tin Pan Alley and it stuck. Yeah. And then they all moved to the Brill Building, as you know, after that, where they, they all went into the Brill Building. So because Denmark Street it was called Tin Pan Alley because that's where all the publishers were. Yeah. You know, if I remember, there was Castle Music, there was Southern Music, there was Campbell and Canelli, there was, oh, there was loads of them. They're all in that little, little street. Yeah, and then the writers would go in, and they like in the Brill Building. They used to work from nine till five, didn't they? And just yeah, turn out these songs, and they were you know there were people like Neil Sedaka, Carol King. I think Neil Diamond worked there as well. So the That's same right. sort of thing happened in, in Britain as well. That's right. I remember the funny enough. I went up to London not long ago, and of course it's all been not demolished, but it's totally different. Mm. And there's no publishers there anymore. The only thing left is a little plaque on the wall that says, "This was Tin Pan Alley." On the wall. And then, do you know what's still there? Um, Regent Sound. I don't know if you ever went there. It was a little place where you could go and make an acetate. For the people who don't know what acetate is, it's like a demo disc, isn't it, you could make in a booth. Yes. And uh, uh, lots of people went there. Apparently the Beatles made acetates then. And it's still there. Wow. People still use it. So you record, and instead of going on to, a, you know, like an MP3 or a WAV, or, or they do or these Straight on the wax. Straight on the wax. And you could take it over and play it to your mum on a regular player. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I those mean, were the days, right? Those <laughs> were the days. All right, so can you remember, what other characters you, did you, did you, you know, like really stuck in well, your Well, there was plenty of characters there. I mean, you for, Eddie Kasner, for a start, was the right character. Mm. He he escaped uh, Nazi Germany right. uh, when he was like about 16, and he, he came over to Britain, and his, I think his parents were, died in Auschwitz, but he, there was another wheeler and dealer. Big cigar again, the yeah. same guy, you know. Yeah. I remember going into his office once, and uh, he sat at this big desk, this cigar, this guy comes and he says, this looks like the headquarters of Smirch. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he said, my boy, I'm going to make you a star. He actually said that to me. He said, this song's going to do for you what the portrait of my love did for Matt Monroe. <laughs> I was still waiting. <laughs> but, but he was a kid. He bought, wait, he bought Rock Around the Clock for $250. How much did that make him? Oh, my god. That gosh. one song. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He, he was been, a real character. And the companies you've mentioned now, they, they still go, don't they? There is still, a, you know, Kasner oh, music, yeah. Southern music is still there, but it's become sort of quite corporate. Well, in the early days, these guys were not outlaws. Well, maybe they were outlaws, but they were definitely um, one-man bands, weren't they? You know, They, they were, yeah. they were. Mm-hmm. And even when I recorded for Kasner, I mean, you had to sue Kasner to get your own. Because <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Grant, I think Eddie Grant actually did sue it. Really? <laughs> Because they, because they had, they were. He was with the Equals at the time, um, and they were like, uh, they got to number one with Baby Come Back, mm-hmm. and he said, "I can't get my royalties on." I was so him. He said, I mean, "He left in the end." And the, another funny story. I, I was, I went to London once on the train to do some broadcasts in uh, Aeolian Hall. Mm-hmm. It was something for through till two, one of those programs, and I had all my music with me. It was a big orchestra, and that, and I left them on the train. I lost all my music, right? So I get to London, oh, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? So the producer, Brian Willie, said, well, get down the, the, the library downstairs and pick five songs you know. So I went down, that's how I did the broadcast. Months later, my Uncle Benny rings me up. Now, Benny used to be a sax player with the Oscar Rabin band. And he said, Johnny, said, I got some music here. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, a big package came through the door and it was all your, your charts, he said. What they'd done, it opened them, and they'd seen that some of my music had been written by an arranger in, in uh, Southern mm-hmm. and sent it all there. So I got my music back. Isn't that fantastic? Well, I, I divert. I'm, uh, so anyway, I got another call from my uncle Ben. He said, Bob Kingston, the boss, wants to meet you. I said, what for? He said he saw you on Opportunity Knox, and he's interested in signing you. I said, I'm already signed to Kasner. He said, well, you can come and meet him anyway and have a chat. I said, okay. So I got to meet him. He said, oh, you'll never get any money out of Kasner. He said, let me have a look at your contract. I'll get you out of it. So he, he did. <laughs> so they're all like wheeling and dealing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a guy called Dick James who... Um, oh, Dick James, aye. No, he, 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 he was next door to Kasner, he was. Well, that's the thing. Northern that, songs. They were, they were all the same. And, and you know, when um, Epstein, you know, got the Beatles a, re- a recording contract and then a publishing deal, I think Dick James set up the company for them, you know, the Northern yeah, songs. Yeah, um, yeah. And in those days, you didn't used to make an awful lot of money out of your own songs, did you? The publisher no. used to used to take the lion's share. But the interesting thing was, uh, and it's funny because whether they were rogues or whether that was the norm at the time, you know. Um, but obviously, he set up the publishing company. He did great things for the well. The Beatles did great things for him. But then he, he well, came, before I, yes, Dorothy Squires told me that because he, he sang Robin Hood, did you? Right. You know that song? That's it. That's Dick James. And he was skinned. He had no work, and, and the publishing was doing no good. And everybody turned the Beatles down. And they walk in the Northern songs. He had nothing to lose. He said, You're all right. And <laughs> made him a millionaire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable. Luck. Yeah, but you know, but you know, but as you say, being in the right place, being in Tin Pan Alley was the right place. You know, he yeah. then he, he came across, you know, Reg Dwight, uh, Elton John, signed him to a publishing de- deal, um, and he was, you know, those guys were able to because they weren't big corporates with lots of people to answer for. They could say, 
we're going to spend, you know, this this kid's going to this kid's going to be is going to be a star, you know, going to do for you what you did for uh, Macman. Yeah. But he did without, you know, he, he he recorded the album, and then he you know he released the the record on DJ, you know, he set up his own record company. They were able mm. to do that, and they were big characters. Now then, uh, years later, I think Elton had to sue him for you know royalties to, to get back royalties. <laughs> well, they did the same to Gordon Mills. I think um, Gilbert O'Sullivan sued him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what he'd done, he'd signed half of Gilbert O'Sullivan's songs to himself. Right. Or taking 50% or something. Anyway, he yes. sued him and he had to mortgage his house to sue him. He could have lost his house, but he won. Yeah. He won the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, they were all they were all pretty warm, those guys. I mean, I think that was the game, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. But I- you remember when a big hoo-ha blew up and they were, they were all bribing disc jockeys and that? Payola. Payola. Payola, yeah. Uh, well, the funniest thing is, one of the pluggers, whose name shall remain anonymous, <laughs> who plugged for a Southern, uh, no, for Kastner, he went into Aeolian Hall, not uh, the BBC, Shepherd's Bush, with a, with a wire. And he got all this information about these people taking backhanders. And he and he shocked them all and he, for a few thousand quid. Mm-hmm. Somebody once said he sold his soul for two thousand quid. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it was a very different world. It was the, the wild west of music, wasn't it? The Tim. Yeah, but usually, like you said, they used to get behind the artist and they would stick with him, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. So if that was a flop, they will make another one. They didn't yeah. go, oh, you had one, get out. Yeah. You know, there was more. Of, there was more of a hands-on kind of feel. It was more friendly anyway. You'd go in the office, you'd say hello to this one, that one. I remember. Do you remember a, a double act called Hudson Ford? Oh, yes, I loved Hudson Ford. Well, uh, Hudson Ford used to do all the demos for me in, in Southern, because Southern had a little um, recording studio downstairs, only an eight-track it was, and before they let you record anything proper, they'd get these two boys in and we'd put a load of demos down, and he'd say, oh, that's good, we'll record that one then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, when they made it themselves in the end, didn't they? A couple of hits, I think. Dig up the wrong way to pick up the pieces. Me the That's it. Way. That's the one. Um, so my, you know, obviously Dick James was a little bit before my time, but I heard all the stories because I was with Rocket and Elton John and all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was signed by Larry Page. Oh, Larry Page, the teenage rage. The teenage rage. <laughs> now, Larry, it was he was such a character. He um. Uh, I, I, we should maybe get him on. He lives in Australia. I keep saying say we should get these people on. We don't. We haven't got time. We're too busy talking ourselves. But um, yeah. Larry he used to tell me all of these stories. He signed me. Um, he, he actually signed a Welsh singer called Jade from Tonrevo. And, I remember uh, my father played for her once. Oh, lo- I mean, lovely, I love lovely girl singer. And then he yeah. he came down to the TV program. I gave him some of my demos, and he signed me too. But then you'd, you'd hear all the stories. He used to manage the Trogs. You know, mm-hmm. and and he used to manage the Kinks. No, he, he found the Kinks. Found the Kinks, and, and he took him to he took him to Eddie Kasner. Right, and I, I, <laughs> <laughs> there's all those stories there. Go on, carry on. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, you know, and he, the thing is about Larry, he looked great. He had these great big sort of sun. There were sunglasses, but they had proper glasses instead, and they wrapped yeah, yeah, around yeah, his yeah. face. And again, he'd quite often have. Well, he, by my time, he didn't have a cigar, but in the old days, he'd have a cigar. But he told me things like he'd go to. They went to Las Vegas, you yeah. know, and the, the 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 Kinks are doing really well. The British invasion's going on. He's met outside the hotel by a big limousine, you know, mm. by someone with Italian connections. Oh, the boys! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so he, you know, he gets into the car and uh, you know, they say, you know, Larry, we like you. You know, we think you're great. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna set up a music company. You know, and I'm gonna give you the company. He said, and then we're gonna do great things together. You know, and obviously, once once you're in that conversation. What do you do? Because you know the wrong word could 
needed well, not only that, once they do something for you, you owe them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the first thing he said was, uh, well, the first thing I'd like to say is thank you very much for your company. Thanks very much. And, uh, and then I think he got on the next plane out, you know. So I don't, don't blame it. don't blame <laughs> but, you. Know, I remember meeting a girl once on a cruise up. Barbara Stango, and he was, and she'd been connected with the boys. Yeah. I'd have been married to one of them or something. And she said to me, oh, I can get you into the States, John. I can get you the green card. I said, how would you do that? She said, well, she said the boys will get it for you. I, I knew what she meant, you see. She said, but you will owe them. I said, well, for God's sake. And I, and I, it just frightened the life out of me. Because yeah. they will. They'll, they'll own you. Once, once they do something, they own you. Yeah, yeah, and and that you know that that, that favor will be called in at some stage, won't it? it oh yeah, be called yeah. In. Um, but you know, you think so. You know, Penny Farthing Records that was Larry Page's record company, and that was next door to DJM, and they all knew each other. Um, yeah. You know that you you mentioned the the underworld because you know in the sixties and seventies the craze you know, who we've seen on TV and in documentaries. They yeah. had the nightclubs and everything. It, it was all, it was very glamorous and the world. Yeah, and it was all that area, all that area of the West End, you know. Mm. Did you ever go to the 142 Club above Francis Day and Hunters? No, no. It was originally called Eddie Cox. It. He was a music publisher and he sold it to Ronnie. Um, oh, he was married to Barbara Windsor. Ronnie Knight. Ronnie Knight, I know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was big time gangster, you know. So, apparently, was it? Uh, Barbara Windsor. Accordingly, no, was it? What we should, we need to say something now. Uh, allegedly, oh, say allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. You can say it because he's written it in his own book. Oh, okay, okay. Well, there we are. He's a gangster. Because <laughs> what happened was he, his brother got murdered or something, um, and they found this guy called Italian Tony, yeah. who'd done it, and he went to jail for it. Oh, right. And then when he got out of jail, he was found murdered. Oh. See, and it's alleged, yeah. it's alleged. alleged. It was having to do with Ronnie, yeah. but yeah. we don't know for we sure. We don't know for sure. Um, no, no. But he was definitely involved with the mass spring robbery. But I diverse. He had this nightclub above Francis Day and Hunters on the corner of Denmark Street. You know, with the, the music yeah. publishers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it was always full of gangsters and, and singers. <laughs> and a couple of girls of the night. <laughs> I remember seeing Matt Monroe sitting on a stool. He was so small, his legs were swinging like this. <laughs> Did you ever go to the La Gioconda? Conda? No. There was a little, little coffee shop on the corner. Have you went to the La Gioconda? And there was a little Italian place where everybody used to go for a scallop of veal. It was imaginable. Oh. You'd meet all these people. Mike Leander, Jeff Stevens. You remember Jeff Stevens? Yes. You know yes. Winchester Cathedral? Cathedral? Yeah. He wrote a song for me. I think it was the one I went to Gibraltar and sang the Gibraltar Festival. He wrote that with Bob Kingston, who was the, then the MD for Southern Music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because oh, when I was, obviously I was a little bit next, maybe you know, a couple of years later on after you go to London, I was very young at the time, so I was quite well protected. Although my um, the record company was on One O One Wardour Street, which is right in the middle of Soho, and in 1973, yeah, yeah. 1974, it was you know there were sites I'd, I've ne- never seen before, and I've never seen since. To be honest, Johnny, because it's all been, it's all been, <laughs> it's all been cleaned, it's all been cleaned up now. Um, but I used to go to like the Marquee Club where they're all oh, the Marquee, yeah. yeah, the big rock, yeah. you know, the, the Rolling Stones would be playing there. Would see keep right. play there, and then um, what, what they, and then I used to go be, because of people like John Peel. I I used to go when I was in London. He said, "Do you want to come and hear this band or this this group?" And they'd take me, and it would always be in a little 
club in Soho somewhere because there were lots of yeah. them. You'd, you'd have to go down these little stairs, you know, oh, before you got right. to the club in, in the basement. I remember saw a band called the Persuasions, who were like a four or five piece a cappella band from from New York, and it just blew me away. So, um, oh, what was the, what was the uh, Roy Woods had a band called Eddie and the Falcons. Uh, it oh, was that? <laughs> it, they were just really small clubs, but they used to do these like um, I suppose for the record for the record and radio industry, wasn't it? Sort of like, yeah, this is yeah. the new album, this is the new act, come and see them. And I used to go along as well. I mean, I was a kid. Was, well, it started off with the Two Eyes Coffee Bar, of course. I, that was before my time. That was your, your Tommy Steele's and people, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and I always used to think it was the Two Eyes. It was the letter A. It was Two Eyes. Ah. <laughs> The two, and they all a lot of them did it. Then Marty Wild, I see Marty still on the road. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? And my friend Craig Douglas, I think he's retired now. Um, but all these characters they were fantastic. I mean, I'm just thinking some of the other guys are at that street. Uh, I mean, Jeff Stevens wrote some fantastic stuff. He, he did Winchester Cathedral, which was number one in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote what well, he wrote. I found a book, you know, while we were talking about this place, I found this. Do you know Mike Reed? He was a disc jockey. Yeah, Radio One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's written that. A Thousand Years of London, Denmark Street. Oh, can you, can you push it up to the screen so we can have a little look at it? Yeah, I'm going I'm to give it to you because it's got some fantastic stuff in it. Just stuff about Kasner. It's probably got, what's the name's name in it? Larry oh, Page, A Teenage Rage. Yeah. yeah. They're all in here. Amazing. You know, Amazing. fantastic. Um, will, we, will we ever see their like again? I no, it's a different world now, man. It's, it's all done in your bedroom. Yeah. And it's lost the feel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. I don't know about you, but I used to record in a, um, in Southern. I recorded one of my records in an eight-track studio where they overdubbed everything. So it was Bill Shepard was the MD. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Bill Shepard? Mm-hmm. He was the, um, the Bee Gees MD. Yeah. yeah. And he, he put down the rhythm section first, mm-hmm. and then he put down the strings, and they all got out because it was a small little room. Then they brought in the the the, uh, the brass, yeah. and then last but not least, me and the girl singers. And then they whack it all together, and they yeah. said, "Right, you know what I mean." But it was fun, you know. <laughs> I remember, I mean, now you sit like you. Now you're sitting in your room doing your bloody you know, send off to somebody. Don't you remember, don't see anybody. No. Uh, he, I remember Larry. So it's funny. These stories came back. He um, he booked. You know, because people became hot, and the arrangers became hot. You know, yeah. so he, uh, the Bee Gees are stuck in my mind for some reason. But anyway, this new arranger had become the new hot property. So Larry booked him for a session for a, a, an act. And uh, wasn't Keith, was it wasn't Keith Mansfield, was it? Oh, I don't know. I don't he did know. all the love affair hits. All oh, right. Well, anyway, this guy, did. this guy yeah. basically had he'd, he'd uh, we got you know got the orchestra in. So I, yeah. you know, they're all sat there and um, they play the record, and it's like it's a three minute record, two minute twenty seconds in. Nothing's mm. happened because right. the, the arranger has decided that the string should come in for the last 30 seconds. Well, not that the money Larry Page was, was, was paying him. He said, you write, write some more at the beginning. I want, me, I want my money's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, never mind the quality, feel the wit. You know, you wanted, you wanted to get well, his money. Well, do you know what? I remember when, I think it was it was definitely Keith Mansfield. Mm. He did all the love of the hits and he did... I think he did Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde. And Kasner pulled him in to do, to do one of my records, right? right. So he says to him, that's the same thing as you just said. He said, okay, Keith, I want a great arrangement. I want strings. I want everything. But I do not want glockenspiel, three notes, 15 quid. <laughs> 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 He's on the record. He plays all the way through. <laughs> 
That's you exactly. make these characters up. Oh, brilliant stuff. All right, well, look, um, uh, the book's still selling. We did, did a nice little chat about the book last yeah, week. Yeah, it's, it's doing okay. And also, my publisher wrote to me and they said they got a deal where they can do a thing with Amazon where normally Amazon only put three uh, connecting words. I don't know what they call it now. Oh. It's like if you put a word in oh, and something to do with your book, it yeah. brings it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they've done a deal where they can get 10, so they're going to start that this week. Who knows? Brilliant. Maybe even better. Mm-hmm. And I see that the Dorothy Squires book sells, still selling as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. There we are. All right, no, then... we could talk about those books in, in Denmark Street forever, couldn't we? Yeah. yeah Larry Page from Port Talbot. Larry Page, Dean, Larry Davis, I think originally it was. Lawrence Davis became the teenager age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, I, I know you've got to rush off and see the grandchildren. So um, that, right. uh, it's goodbye from it's goodbye from him, and it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Denmark Street. Huh? All the best. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make a star, kid. I'm going to make you. A I'm going to star. <laughs> <laughs>